Hey church family, Pastor Caleb here. Uh, in this episode, we're going to do a little study on how ethnicity works in the New Testament. Now, uh, in our modern age, uh, conversations around ethnicity, ethnocentrism, racism, immigration, xenophobia, uh, these are hot topics right now, and in many uh, ways, rightfully so. Uh, but if we're to approach these difficult conversations with a Jesus-centered, uh, biblical-centered wisdom, uh, I believe that we need to understand how ethnicity works in the scriptures. And so, uh, for the f next few moments, we're going to study ethnicity specifically in the New Testament. Uh, of course, there's a lot to say about ethnicity in the Older Testament, but I'd like to just focus on the New Testament in this time together. And this material is adapted from a class that we offer on occasion called Ethnicity in the New Testament. So I will place the most current version of the handout in the show notes for you. Uh, so let's study together Ethnicity in the New Testament. Okay, to start, I want to dispel this idea that the Bible promotes ethnic erasure, or uh, it's commonly um, articulated in this idea of, you know, we're all one humankind, and therefore I don't see ethnicity. In modern America, we'll sometimes see this uh, ethnicity confused with racism. And so people will say things like, I don't see color, or I don't see the differences between us, we're all the same. Doesn't the Bible just say we're all the same, one, uh, one humanity? And while the Bible certainly does uh, promote the concept that we are all uh, sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, so we are all one humanity, there is huge uh, uh, differences, beautiful differences in our uh, ethnic diversity. And so uh, the Bible does not promote ethnic erasure. Uh, example, I don't see ethnicity. Rather, it points towards the ultimate redemption of all ethnic groups and celebrates the diversity of humanity as a feature designed by God. And I hope to make that argument here in our uh, study together. So what is ethnicity? Well, it could be a uh, defined in a variety of different ways, uh, but one of the more common uh, comes from James Swanson, who says that ethnicity is a nation, people, or large group based on various cultural, sometimes physical, or geographic ties. And so for the ancient, uh, for the ancient mind, uh, a person's ethnicity, uh, so in Greek this would be the word ethnos, was core to their very existence. Uh, Aaron uh, Cooker in The Spirit and the Other, uh, his book uh, s argues that if you were someone kicking around at the time that the Bible was being written, your ethnicity was very centered to your understanding of who you are. He says that it, it shaped your politics, your economics, your daily practices, your family life, and even sometimes your religion. The designation of people into an ethnos or an ethnicity was a key way that people would communicate about themselves. These people were powerfully aware of their ethnos and formed much of their life around it. Ethnic identity allowed a person to know which group they belonged to and which groups they were excluded from and which people or peoples they should stay away from. So in your New Testament, you have a variety of ethnic identities. Uh, a few of them would be Jews, Greeks, uh, Syrophoenicians, Romans, Samaritans, Cretans, uh, Scythians, even barbarians to some degree, Ethiopian, uh, Persian, Canaanite, Syrian, etc. 
And so these ethnic identities are crucial for us to understand what's going on in the text when these identity markers, these ethnic identity markers are noted, uh, we're invited in to study further what is going on in the text. What's the nuance? Is there tension? Is there something powerful happening here as these different groups uh, tether themselves together or engage with one another? Now, one pet peeve I have is the word uh, Gentile. Uh, Oftentimes, the word ethnos will get translated as Gentile. And I, I don't, I'm not a fan of Gentile as a translation. Uh, it's a Latin carryover word uh, from the Latin gentilis, which means of a family or nation or of the same clan. Again, Gentile is another word for ethnicity or ethnos. So the Latin Vulgate used it to translate ethnos, but in English, it often, has, in most modern English minds, the word Gentile is simply understood as non-Jew, but there's much more nuance to it. Uh, than that. Uh, Perhaps a better translation for ethnos would be the ethnic other, though on occasion there is a derogatory nuance or a slander, so maybe ethnic outsider or ethnic less than uh, may be preferable in the translation. And I'm thankful to uh, my friend Ben Kowitzki, who serves with Wycliffe, uh, doing Bible translation for helping me uh, piece that together and giving me the gift of that idea and framework. To think of Gentile Uh, or that word ethnos, not as Gentile, but as ethnic other or ethnic outsider. In fact, I would encourage you as you read the New Testament, if you see the word Gentile, uh, maybe just Google the text that you're reading and see what the original Greek was. It may well be that it's the word ethnos, which would give us a broader understanding of what's going on if we were to use ethnic other or ethnic outsider. Now, I said a moment ago that the Gospels assume a working knowledge of ethnic tension and taboo. So in Matthew 15, 21 through 28, uh, there's a Syrophoenician woman. So it says in verse 21 that Jesus went from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. So you notice there that you get these ethnic markers. In the district of Tyre and Sidon, a Canaanite woman comes out. Jesus, in verse 24, answers, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The identity marker of Israel is noted there, and you get this tension in the text that uh, these two ethnos um, are distinct, and we're supposed to see in this text, I believe one of the things we're supposed to see is the tension between uh, the Canaanite or Syrophoenician and those of Israel. I would encourage you to take a look at the text, Matthew 15, 21 through 28, and consider how ethnicity plays a strong role in how we're to understand this text. Now, perhaps a more popular or famous text would be the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. Uh, The whole parable hinges on the ethnic identity of the one whom Jesus is speaking uh, speaking about, the Samaritan. Uh, You've got a priest and a Levite who fail to love their neighbor. And then in verse 33, Jesus says, but... A Samaritan who was on a journey came up. When he saw him, he felt compassion, and on the story goes. The whole parable 
relies upon our understanding of the Samaritan, the ethnic identity of the Samaritan, being someone whom the original hearers would have thought would have been an ethnic outsider, someone who does not belong. Uh, in Mark chapter 5, uh, verses 1 and on, you get Jesus visiting uh, the country of the Gerasenes, and uh, the ethnic other, the ethnic outsider. Uh, in fact, one of the really, oh man, this is so cool. So in John chapter 8, Jesus is slandered as a Samaritan. So, so listen to this. It's John chapter 8, verse 48 through 52. And notice that Jesus does not refute the slander of the ethnic outsider. Watch this. So it says that the Jews answered and said to him, Jesus, Do we not say rightly that you, Jesus, are a Samaritan and have a demon? So let's pause there for a moment. Jesus, uh, the, Jesus' opponents here in this text, they slander him in two ways. They say that he's demotic, and then they refer to him as a Samaritan, which in their minds would have been an, uh, a term of ethnic derision. Notice what Jesus says in response. Verse 49, Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now, what's interesting here is that Jesus directly refutes the slander of being called a, a, a demon or having a demon, but he does not refute being called a Samaritan. And check this out. The accusation that Jesus is a Samaritan is passed over in silence. In John chapter 8, verse 48, we see Jesus slandered as an ethnic other, an ethnic outsider, and he does not refute it. And it may well be that this is read aloud to those first churches that the Gospel of John was read aloud to in the hearing of Samaritan Christians who would have been honored by the fact that Jesus took on this, what was intended to be a slander, but he redeemed it. I would invite you to read John chapter 8 in this scene and to consider and pray through how ethnicity plays a role in our understanding of it. Now, ethnicity comes up uh, in a lot of other places, and we'll just kind of go speedily through these. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the ethnos, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus here in what is sometimes referred to as the Great Commission does not have primarily in mind uh, going and making disciples of all nation states, rather peoples, nations in, this, in the sense of ethnicities or identifiable people groups. In the book of Acts, we see that the Spirit of God consist, consistently moves towards the ethnic outsider. I have a study available on that that I'll include a link to in the show notes, but every time that you see the Spirit moving uh, the people of God towards someone, it's always towards the ethnic outsider. In Ephesians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul riffs on this idea of the fact that the gospel is for all the ethnos or all the ethnicities. And he says in uh, chapter 3, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you ethnos, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, and then he goes on to say that all the ethnos are to, uh, are, are, excuse me, all the ethnos in verse 6 are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body, that is the church. 
And he talks about how his role as an apostle is to preach the good news to all the ethnicities, to all the ethnos. And that their inclusion, check this, that the inclusion of all these different ethnicities within the church puts on display the manifold wisdom of God. That word manifold means multicolored or multifaceted. The multifaceted or multicolored wisdom of God is put on display when all the ethnos are brought together in the church. Now, one of the things that I think is crucial to note is that the bringing together of the different ethnicities uh, was not easy. In fact, if you just look through the book of Acts, you'll notice that many of the fights that the church was having uh, was in part um, made difficult because of these different ethnos getting together. In fact, the first fight that we've got listed in the text is about the distribution of uh, food to different ethnic groups of widows. You can check that out in the book of Acts. Uh, We see Peter in Acts 10 wrestling with the inclusion of all the ethnos, all the different ethnicities, into this this expression uh, known as the local church. Uh, He seems to be scandalized, but also comes to believe it. But he also, Peter, seems to find it difficult. Uh, In the book of Galatians, he seems to revert back to an ethnocentric uh, lifestyle of which uh, the Apostle Paul confronts him on. One of the greatest fights that you see in the uh, early church, in the multi-ethnic church, is the conversation around ethnic identity markers like circumcision. So in Acts chapter 15, you've got Uh, the apostles and elders of the church wrestling through, studying scripture together, praying together, uh, the question of should non-Jewish Christians be circumcised, an active ethnic identity marker. And so they come to the conclusion that they do not need to be circumcised, uh, that those who are not Jewish are not called to be circumcised in order to be part of uh, the local church. And we see in this a respect for ethnic identity markers, but also an eye towards inclusion of all the different ethnicities. We see in Colossians 3, uh, the Apostle Paul says that there is no distinction in Christ between Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. And in this text in Colossians, Paul is not trying to say that there's no differences. He's trying to say that there's no distinction in priority, power, or worth. But rather, we are all chosen by God. In verse 12, he says, Holy and beloved, and are to put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Now, why would he have to say bearing with one another? Well, because we bring all of our ethnic differences, all of our socioeconomic differences, our full selves, we bring those into the church. And so when we're our true selves with one another, we've got to bear with each other's differences. So I'd like to conclude our time together with just a brief vision of our future, and by that I mean our eternal future. 
So in the book of Revelation, we find what I think is the strongest argument against this idea that the Bible promotes ethnic erasure or sameness. Revelation 7, 9 through 10 says this, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count from every ethnos, every tribe, people, and tongue, were standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. Revelation 21, 22 through 27 says this, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The ethnos will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no night there, its gates will never be closed, and they will bring the glory and honor of the ethnos into it. And nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. I'd encourage you to read Revelation 21 for yourself. Now, the thing I want to notice here for the sake of this study is that the ethnic diversity is and, and beauty is paraded before God in the eternal state. So catch this. The gates are never closed, and the kings of the earth are bringing the glory of their ethnos into the presence of God and the throne. So uh, the way I envision this, if you'll pardon me, is something like a uh, exponentially more majestic and glorified version of the opening ceremonies of the Olympics, where all of the different peoples of the world parade their clothing and their culture, and their arts and their music before one another. In this case, however, we're bringing our ethnic beauty before God. We're bringing the glory of the ethnos before God. And I believe that it will be part of our eternal worship. So Revelation shows a multi-ethnic future. Uh, the book of Acts and on uh, shows a uh, ethnic diversity within the early church and on. And the Gospels show that Jesus' message of the good news of the kingdom of God is for all ethnicities, that there is not ethnic erasure, but rather a celebration of the ethnic diversity within the church. So I hope this study has been helpful to you. If you have any questions or comments, I would encourage you to email me, caleb at dsbc.church. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, see you later.